So the last week of Oregon athletics have not been chill. Oregon lost to just zero chill. Zero chill. <laughs> lost to Oregon State, or we lost Oregon State in the Pac-12 opener. Uh, and then <laughs> was there a football game too? I don't know. I think I saw something I on like the Score Center app. Um, but not sure. I I really wish, you know, someday I'm gonna forget this game even happened. It was, it was the the first half was absolutely everything I loved about this team. The second half was everything I absolutely hated about this team. It was the most poetic ending to just one of the weirdest seasons ever. Yeah. It couldn't have ended any other way. Yeah. It's, uh... I don't know how we can't name Vernon Adams MVP of the season at this point. Just because... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. That was pretty much proven that, you know, I, I think... I don't think we realize it's it's like that old saying like you don't realize how good something is until it's gone. Yeah. And you know, Jeff Lockie's career as a backup quarterback it's uh, on one hand it's your job as a backup to always be ready to go into the game at any given moment. But on the other hand when you spend your entire career on the bench and you have like a handful of starts here and there when a, a quarterback is hurt, and but other than that, you're you know you're like all right, I'm I'm the backup. That's my role here. I hold the play cards. I wear the red hat. And then when you have to come into the second half, it I've never played football, but it should not be that hard. Like if someone gives you a 31 point cushion, you should be able to play mediocre football and hang on to win. I would like to point out. Did you see the whole second half? I know we just talked about how you were working and everything. Yeah, so I, I worked. I I have not. I've yet to see anything. I, I watched the entire overtime. I got home in time for overtime, but I've yet to see how the collapse actually happened. Okay, well, let me tell you. Well, obviously, uh, quarterback play had a huge drop off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think even worse was uh, Matt Haggerty went out with a injury starting center in the second half beginning of the second half and there were like a few people on the team who can apparently snap the ball uh, and they were filling in at other spots so apparently well he was still a backup center but he came in to fill in for Haggerty, and he was physically unable to snap a football properly. Rusty is using the word he because it, it, uh, Doug Brenner has turned into like Voldemort of like he oh. who must not be named. <laughs> okay. uh, we can't speak his name. Yeah, it pretty much threw the timing off on everything because Lockie had to pick the ball up from rolling around on the ground. Yeah, that was that was what I noticed in overtime was just low snap after low like just bad snaps all around. That had improved. That was an improvement. He was getting in the flow at that point. Oh god, that was the flow? Yeah. Oh, oh there no. were uh there were multiple drives that apparently were stopped because of just awful snaps. Yeah. And there's, like, at that point, not even, like, Vernon Adams. Actually, that's not true. It would have been extremely difficult for Vernon Adams to really make that much happen. <laughs> I I think it's, you know, it, it's, like, one of, those, one of those games where it's got a, um, the, like, to blow a 31-point lead in a, in a bowl game, and that was the biggest blown lead in the history of college football bowl games. 
it, it takes like it takes like a perfect storm of events for that to happen. Like the defense has to collapse. The offense, like everything, has to just collapse at once at the same time together. And so, I think there was a lot of people kind of going around and pointing fingers and saying, "Oh, it was." Um, you know, it was Lockie's fault. It was Brenner's fault. It was Pelham's fault. It was the defense's fault. I don't think it was any one thing. It it was, you know, it has to be like a collective collapse for you to blow a thirty-one point lead. Uh huh. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think, legitimately, only a couple units needed to make like one real play Mm -hmm. like if Oregon had gotten one sustained drive or if we'd gotten one sustained drive that probably is a win yeah if we had had like a couple three and outs on defense that's probably a win yeah it's just little things here and there that you know it it's always going to be a game of like it's all, you're always going to look back on it and be like, well, what if this happened or what if that happened? It's these little little things that just everything added up to create this epic collapse. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, it was real bad. Okay. Um, Blown leads are bad kids. Okay. Yeah. I don't... <sighs> I'm I'm torn on a couple of these things. Um, a well, when you've been around the program for an incredibly long time, it, it's it's to me it's always the 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 weighted responsibilities of coaches getting players ready to go, mm-hmm. and players needing to be able to be coached to get ready to go, and. I think that if, and this goes for more than just like a couple of people we pointed out, uh, to be in the program that long and still play at like an average level, I just don't understand. I don't understand how that happens. And do you think? Do you think that's on? Do you think that's on the player for not developing or the coach for not developing a player? If you had to pick one or the other. For this year? Yeah, like... If, I don't know. You know. I think it's if, a total toss-up. Most of the time, know, I think Jeff it's a coach. Watchy, but going from the talent on last year's team mm-hmm. and the one before that... Like, it seems there was a big drop-off. Maybe it was just this year. This year's, uh, this recruit, like, the recruiting class that just wrapped up their careers. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But it's tough to see linebackers and, uh, linemen not perform up to like the base level that we've seen the last few years and then say that it's like the coach's fault like I feel that the positions next year will have a huge improvement Mm -hmm. over this year's and I guess it really just comes down to whether the coach has had an off year or what have you but like when people aren't even able to do the most fundamental parts of their of their positions it's uh it, it's it's a you can lead a horse to the water but you can't force him to drink like and that comes that comes as someone who played a sport through college and has seen multi, like the different perspectives of just not being prepared as a whole, and then also seeing people uh, who aren't necessarily starting just totally phone in certain parts. And I don't know which is the case, but mm-hmm. I think that that's those are possibilities. So 
Um, on I guess the biggest shakeup after this, and I know David Piper is psyched about this. Like he is just he was lit when this announcement was made. Uh, Don Pelham has been demoted from defensive coordinator back to linebackers coach. Uh, first off, super psyched he's still with the program. Yeah, this is the whole thing where he's been, with with the exception of a couple, I'm looking back at Pelham's coaching career, and with the exception of a year at Willamette and a few years at Cal, he's been with Oregon almost consistently since 1985. And so it's the whole thing of you've been with us for 30 years. You know, clearly this whole defensive coordinator gig is not working out and this is not going in the direction that we want it to. Let's reallocate you and bring in someone new. And so it's, you know, it's the whole thing of kind of it's showing him respect and loyalty of, we're not firing you. We're not kicking you out the door. We're not saying, you know, thanks for everything the past 30 years, but see you later. He'll still be a part of the program, but just in a different capacity. And I think that's, you know, I, I think it's almost more of anything just kind of a respect thing because he's been with the program for so long. Oh, yeah. Well, he was a great linebackers coach. Mm-hmm. Um. Like, there were so many NFL linebackers who came into Oregon as, like, two and three stars and then left as NFL players. Oh, yeah. Um, side note, uh, I'm totally going to butcher this guy's name, but he was the outside linebackers coach. Eric Chinander. Chinander. I don't know how to say his name. He left. We're butchering the name, but everyone knows. Yeah. He uh, is the defensive coordinator now at UCF under Scott Frost. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, and Don Pelham played at Oregon too. So Yeah, he, he was, was a linebacker, linebacker from 80 to 84. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad his suits aren't leaving. Him and Gary Campbell just seem to have a contest to see who can wear the most amazing outfits. Um, so it, it'll be weird. It'll be weird kind of following a, uh, you know, Oregon's going to do a, a nationwide search, bring someone in from the outside. And yeah. that's going to be weird because, you know, Pelham was was within um, Nick Aliotti had been the defensive coordinator since 1999, I think, and um, he had been with you know he had gone to the NFL and was at UCLA for a year, but he was another one of those guys who had you know pretty deep ties to Oregon. Um, so it'll be kind of weird just seeing one of these like kind of routine regular coaching searches and figuring out who that's going to be. Yeah. And I think, well, Matt uh, Lubick is going to be the offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. I mean, just straight up. Um, And going, yeah, talking about the defensive coordinator position, I don't see anyone internally filling that role. Because um, I think... No, it's definitely... It's going to be someone from the outside, that's for sure. Right, because I just don't think anybody who's there right now is ready to make that jump. Um, I was also... I, like, one of the reasons I was going to put, like, Pelham on the on the hot seat, I know, like... Anybody listening is like, how can you just say that? I was gonna think. I was thinking Don Pelham would be on the hot seat going into this next year, and that's because 
stability at the coaching positions at Oregon. Um, that's like been one of the, I think what's allowed Oregon to have like the continued success despite like all disadvantages that the program has relative to like Alabama's, USC's, Clemson's, Ohio State's. Um, is just the continuity of coaching. And so mm-hmm. I was really reluctant to just like pull someone after a bad year. Um, but then there was a graphic. Uh, we can say like traditional stats like don't matter as much to Oregon's defense because of how many possessions they have to go against and everything. Right. But when I saw that our defense was ranked like 108, 112, 120, 106 in six of the basic defensive categories, just kind of like this is this is problematic. Yeah. Like, no Oregon defense should be this be this low. Granted, Oregon doesn't get really any four or five star commitments on defense. Like pretty much the secondary, like we don't have that many like four star linebackers or four star uh, defensive linemen, which I'm hoping will turn around. I think mm-hmm. it will turn around uh, with how much emphasis emphasis uh, these coaches are now putting on recruiting. Kind of headed by Mark Helfrich. I think that's one of Helfrich's greatest strengths is how much he's putting into recruiting. You know, because that's honestly the difference between Oregon and like Ohio State or, uh, yeah, like Ohio State or anybody or Auburn or any of those teams. It's uh, dominant extremely talented defensive and offensive lines. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I think that's that's one of the big selling points. But I saw one rumor. This guy has since taken, like, the USC job, the defensive coordinator for the 49ers. Uh, but he's at USC now. I think... Um, if we bring Will Cox on, I'm going to throw a hissy fit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, like, like, Will Cox is a duck. He's great. But I do not want him as a defensive coordinator. Yeah, that would not end well. Um, what about John Neal? He doesn't want to be defensive coordinator from what I've heard. He's good where he is. Yeah, I think he I'm, likes being a defensive backs coach. I'm shuffling through a list of uh, potential candidates from the Oregonian. And one that actually kind of caught my eye that I hadn't thought about, um, Jerry Azanaro, who was the D-line coach under Chip Kelly. Right. 2009 to 2012. And he... Now he's the Eagles D-line coach. Probably won't have a job next year. Right. With the Eagles. That's I'd the be whole fine thing. with that. He killed it as defensive line coach. Yeah, I'm just shuffling through this list, and it's got, you know, Neil, Wilcox, those guys. But that one kind of... That one's an intriguing one, because it's, it's sort of bringing someone in from the outside, but it's kind of bringing someone back. And They've been there. You know, they've been there, they get it, they know how everything works there, and that'd be that would be an intriguing choice. What I always find to be hilarious is how much credit Wilcox gets for one game against Oregon. Mm-hmm. Even when we were at the USC game, Red is Vernon Adams throws for like the forty eighth point. There was a fan in my section, granted my section, that I sit with is just very difficult at times. Although that's an improvement based on last seasons. Like, last season, I don't know why some of these people come to the games. They're just (laughs) unhappy all the time. Like, they... Marcus Mariota would throw a pass and be like, God, this is bullshit. 
<laughs> it's like, it's one of five he throws. He's like 27 of 32, and like, God, he should have had more. And, uh, and so, uh, Adams throws for like the 48th point. And, like, two minutes later, this guy is saying, you know, Don Pelham's just not getting the job done, which mm-hmm. I think is fair to say. But then he says, we need to bring somebody in who's just a great defensive coordinator, Will Cox. Oh, Are you no. watching this game right now? <laughs> like, I'm just watching. I've never seen a secondary so lost in my life. Yeah, I think uh, Bayless caught a pass, and there there wasn't a defender in the frame of the, of, of the TV. He was on the hash marks, like on the 25. Mm-hmm. There was no one within literally 25 yards of him. Yeah, I remember that one. Like, I don't, I don't get it. And you know why? It's because he coached the 2009 Boise State team in the 19-8 win over Oregon in Chip Kelly's first year. That one game. Right, right, exactly. Because people remember, like, the first thing and the last thing. <laughs> Except mm-hmm. in Wilcox's case, they just remember the first thing. Because um, he was at Boise State in which the offense just vomited all over itself. Yeah. Like Team America wore the police style. But then he was the coach at Tennessee when Oregon scored like 40-some points um, in Chip Kelly's second year. Mm-hmm. And then the, he was the coach at Washington under Steve Sarkeesian for a few years. And Oregon just blew those guys out also. And then he was at USC this last year. And the same thing happened. So, I don't, so that's I don't not be, the answer. I, I don't, I'm not making, like, giving Wilcox a hard time. I'm just making fun of everybody who thinks we should hire Josh Wilcox. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know who I really want? And Taco, Taco was against this. We had to talk about this on the website. I really want Ed Orgeron. Okay. I've heard that name tossed around. Not just because of his last name. Being a lot like Oregon. He is... Because I was like, he's an amazing recruiter. And Taco said, well, Pelham's an amazing recruiter. Ed Orgeron is next level. (laughs) There's a book about his recruiting. It's called Meat Market by Bruce Feldman. Um... Ed Orgeron was such a relentless recruiter. I think that would be huge. And he's a def- he is, he's a defensive line coach. And I forget what Taco's comment was exactly. But uh, Ed Orgeron was getting significant. Like, his players were saying that he should be getting the USC head coaching position after filling in for Lane Kiffin, after Lane Kiffin was left at the airport. Uh but they gave it to Steve Sarkeesian. Whoops. Uh, but I love Ed Orgeron. I want Ed Orgeron so badly. <laughs> He's also a personality, too. Mm. He just gets after it. So he has, like, Red Bulls constantly. I just think he would be amazing. I would love him as defensive coordinator. So We'll see what happens. Yeah, exactly. I'm psyched, though. I feel good about our next defensive quarter. I mean, it it can, it is extremely unlikely it'll go from 108 to, like, 126. So, really, it can only get better. <laughs> We've hit rock bottom, people. <laughs> we haven't hit rock bottom, but it's kind of like the next step down. And, uh, yeah, I think... Oh, here, here, here's a plus. Here's a plus. Uh, our defensive backs next year, fire. They're going to be so good. Um, because, like, Springs mm-hmm. was a superstar, like, the last seven games of the year. Yep. Um, I think the biggest weak, weakness in pass coverage was actually the linebackers. Uh, 
because Springs was a superstar. Cisse was injured most of the year, but when he played, he did well, except for this last game. Uh, Ugo Amadi was unreal against USC. Like, he was unreal. Um, Yeah, and then, like, Springs against Cal. Springs locked down their number one receiver. Like, their number one receiver barely got a pass, and he was thrown at a ton. Um, So... I think that is going to be so huge, knowing that our defensive backs can hold up for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we can maybe get a little crazier now with how we blitz. Because I personally, my defensive preferences have always been towards being super aggressive and just blitzing the hell out of people. Because that's where Oregon gets the plays. Where well, yeah, you, you where, blitz and you put pressure, and it you know creates chaos and right. And that's what Aliotti really did. His well, on the Oregon defenses that really were exceptional. Granted, mm-hmm. they had amazing talent. Like on one, they had Eric Armstead, Kiko Alonso, DeForest Buckner. Um, Ifo Ekpre Olamu and like Casey Matthews. Yeah. Like, like they had so much talent those years. Um, so that obviously helps. But those defenses were ones that just blew the doors off people. And it just fits so well with our offense because it was so keen on just like they, they gave up like 15 yard chunks every once in a while. But there were mm-hmm. no huge plays, and there was a lot, a lot of pressure put on the other team. Could you blitz? Yeah, because if you're yeah. if you're a quarterback and you're standing back there in the pocket and you have all day to throw, like if you, if there's no pressure coming from the defense and the quarterback just has all day to make up his mind, and as we've seen, it just kind of ends in disaster. Hmm. So, yeah, because, I mean, that's where you get games where Oregon scores a touchdown, interception, Oregon scores a touchdown, three and out, Oregon scores a touchdown, and Oregon's up 21-0 before the other teams ran six plays. And at that point, like, the game's basically over. So, that's the kind of defense I want to see. So... There's always a, what people say, the bend but don't break, break D, where you just constantly, like, the where the offense has to just go against, like, a lot of coverage. Mm-hmm. And they basically have to run a lot of plays to get a touchdown. And people are like, oh, they, they bend, but they don't break in the red zone. Well, you know why they don't break in the red zone? Because it's smaller. Yeah, there's much less space to cover, um, so that's where you get the don't break, and that's something that Oregon had mastered in years past. It yeah. was like, all right, you know, we'll we'll give up, we'll give up seven yard plays, we'll give up ten yard plays. They'll get into the, you know, they'll get towards the red zone, but then Oregon's defense will just lock it up, and they'll have to settle for a field goal, and then. Oregon would just simply be able to outscore everyone at that point. Uh-huh. I've always been a big component of the bend don't break defense. I think it worked well for Oregon in the past. I like the more aggressive stuff, personally. Um all right, so on defense. We lose Coleman and Buckner, who were, I think, by far two guys in the front seven who stood out way over everybody else. Mm -hmm. Like, not even close. Um, And I think I saw, I was reading over a Sports Illustrated mock draft today, and they had Buckner going ninth overall to the Buccaneers. They had Buckner going ninth overall? Mm -hmm. That seems too low. 
Let me look at what some of these teams look like. Because a huge part of it, too, is based just on, like, what order these guys are in. Um, Yeah. Because if you have, like, the first five teams are just awful on offense, you could be, like, the best player uh, overall, but not get any real uh any real looks because you're just not needed. Mm-hmm. So Oh, Paxton Lynch projected to go to the Browns. My one Browns fan, my one friend who's a Browns fan is going to be livid about that. <laughs> <laughs> How many quarterbacks have they missed on now? Uh, I mean, I see I see most most projections I have them taking off. <laughs> I just roasted my friend. Which means we packed in Lynch, projected to go to the Browns. He goes, who? Question mark. He doesn't even know who he is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, can Oh, yeah. So this is also a problem. So Joey Bosa is a defensive end. He's projected to go to the Titans, even though I think they should probably pick a left tackle. Um, because Mariota needs some help. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, Paxton Lynch, the Browns, uh, San Diego Chargers get Robert Kim DJ, who is out of his mind right now, like falling off of buildings off synthetic weed. Uh, uh, Jalen Ramsey, Florida State Seminoles. See, I like Hargraves more than that. Um, Jared Goff to the 49ers. Let's just skip to... See, if I'm the Titans, I would grab, like, Laramie Tunsil or Ronnie Stanley. Like, that's just mm-hmm. the biggest need. Like, you spent the number two draft pick on a franchise quarterback. He's getting constant pressure. And then you get a defensive end? Like, honestly, at, at some point, like, I honestly believe you should always draft best available uh, but you there there's a there's a tackle you can get a tackle number one. Mm-hmm. Um, but you like you have to protect Marcus. Uh, I I see Buckner going to the Bears, according to Todd McShay. As a Packer, as a minority owner of the Packers, I would not like to see that. Would not support that decision. No. <laughs> not a fan. Um, <laughs> see, this is why I see, see, now I'm just looking at all these picks, and I've totally, like, derailed what I'm thinking. Like, if, uh, if the Oakland Raiders draft Tredavious White, their defense is going to be so crazy because they already have miles jack or not miles jack uh khalil oliver so who else on here is there anybody else who's projected to be a first round pick for oregon uh not that i saw i think buckner was the only one on there oh my god green bay packers drafting an outside linebacker you have to be kidding me our offense is awful how do we not get a wide receiver I guess we get Jordy Nelson back, but why not? Our offense is so bad this year. It's so painful to watch. It's so painful to watch. All right. All right. Back. Back to this. We're back. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. So Mondo is back. Huge. Mm. Uh, Prevo is back. Huge. Balducci is back. Wait, no, he's not. He's a senior. Um, Amadi, Cisse, Springs, um, Charles Nelson, Reggie Daniels, he's going to be back. So our entire secondary is returning. Mondo and Prevo got significant playing time. Walker's gone, Coleman's gone, Buckner's gone. 
Um, Hardrick is gone. Uh, Jimmy Jimmy Swain is back. I liked him. I thought he did really well. Uh, Johnny Reagan the third. I liked him too. Uh, I'm just going through. Daquan McDowell. I liked some of him from what I saw. Danny Mattingly. Really liked him. Um, Matt Mariota. Yes, that is Marcus Mariota's younger brother. This the this the same Mariota. I like how they <laughs> So I just looked at his uh uh so I just looked at his uh profile. He doesn't look that much like Marcus at all. Mm-hmm. Um so this is the funniest player bio I think I've ever seen. Just given the context of it. Linebacker, 6'2", 248, freshman. Hometown is Honolulu, Hawaii, from St. Louis High School. Uh, personal, parents, uh, Tao and Alana Mariota, family, one brother. As <laughs> <laughs> if his brother isn't Marcus Mariota. Just throwing him out of there. He's got a brother, he's, whatever. He's got, he's got a brother. He's got a brother. Yeah. <laughs> That's so don't know funny, who that though. Is, but... that's, that's so funny. And then there's a. Uh, see, I'm just terrified of saying some of these guys' names. Uh, oh, Austin uh, Maluata. He played really well last year. Mm-hmm. He's like 300 pounds, and I will never forget this. The biggest plus that he had was high motor. He's a 300 pounder with a high motor. That's a scary thought. Yeah. Um, and then Kalana Apelu. He's from Hawaii, too. He's a freshman mm-hmm. linebacker. He looks like he would more play safety. Because he's 5'11", 196. Maybe a nickelback something? I just don't see how so many ways like 196 can be a linebacker. Oh, fun fact, Kalana Apelu from Hawaii. Oh, DeForest Buckner from Hawaii. Kawakai from Hawaii. Dylan Kane from Hawaii. Canton... Don't want to try and say that name. Canton K, number 99, from Hawaii. Rex Manu from Hawaii. Matt Mariota from Hawaii. Uh, Davis Miyashiro... That's, that's where it cuts off. Uh, Hawaii. Jaron Cedillo from Hawaii. We have nine players from Hawaii on this team. That is a lot of people. They all play linebacker, defensive line, and then there's one offensive lineman. They're all the big boys. That's not true. Dylan Kane is a strong safety. Um, And Koakai is a tight end. But uh, there was one guy who was who I'm in love with. He was on special teams and he was fantastic. Uh I'm trying to figure out who this guy is. I'm looking at the roster right now. I thought he was number forty three. Uh because I saw him on special teams all the time. Yes, here he is. Uh Fotu Leauto. I don't know if that's how you say his last name or his first name even. But he's a freshman from Stalacum High School in uh, the town of the same name. His... Okay. I want to be very careful before I make this comparison. But his highlight tape... Granted, it was against like moderate high school football. So, relative to his competition, he looked like Troy Polamalu with the hair and everything. So, he's playing defensive back. He's 6'1", 200. He's going to be a fantastic safety. I would watch him on uh, kickoff coverage. He was amazing. 
he would fly down the field. Like, he would be lined up in the middle, and he would just blow past whoever was trying to block him. And, like, you could always see, like, his hair just, like, flowing in the wind, which also reminded me of Palomalu. But he was, like, always the first person down. He's so fast. And his, yeah, his highlight tape was one of the more ridiculous things I've ever seen. He just made so many plays. Like, he would, like, jump over linemen. Like, he would just come out of nowhere and, like, strip the football. He makes plays. He makes plays. I'm hoping he can be a Tyron Matthew type player, but bigger and not smoke weed. That would be promising. Yeah, that would be huge. Um, He was the best safety... Wait, let me see. Okay, so Rivals had him as top five overall prospects in Washington. Top safety, 14th in the West region. Second team All-State linebacker. How are you second team All-State and you're the fifth best player in the in the state? You must have had some amazing... Wait, no, that doesn't make any sense. Well, as always, uh, in-state coaching... For all state, all state rankings mean absolutely nothing mm-hmm. to me. They mean absolutely nothing because all coaches just voting and it's all politics, and these kids just get messed up, just get screwed over. I would much rather read Rivals than like All American or anything. Um, I'm so excited to see him next year. He's gonna be so good. Um, Huge plus, huge. Oh, Ty Griffin's also a redshirt sophomore, and he's been he's played defensive back for a year now. Uh, Taj Griffin, Tony Brooks, James, all look fantastic. Royce Freeman is coming back. Uh, Kenai Benoit looked fantastic, uh, and then we get Thomas Tyner back. The uh, yeah, it, we we missed him this year, but I mean. As expected, Freeman carried the load, no problem. And I, I think having having another running back in there and having Tyner to kind of take some carries off of Freeman and kind of extend his shelf life out a bit, I think that'll help uh, Freeman long-term as he goes towards the next step towards the NFL. Yeah. Because as we've talked about before, it's all about shelf life and carries with, with running backs. So yeah. if there's a you know equally as talented guy to take some of the workload there, all for it, all for it. Yeah. So that'll, that'll yeah. be nice to have him back. Yeah, and he doesn't have to carry it a ton, like you just said. Doesn't have to carry it a ton. Not a workhorse. He's yeah. so fast. He's as fast as Royce Freeman is physical. And Royce Freeman is as physical, is as fast as Tyner is physical. Like it's they just complement, they complement each other so well. And Thomas Tyner, for his professional career, missed a whole year of carries. Like you only have so many carries in you as a running back. Missed out like he's two hundred or still in the bank. Mm-hmm. And. He hurt his shoulder. It's not like he broke his leg. Uh, he's going to be fantastic this next year. Then he's going to go pro. He's going to be one of the top running backs in the draft. Just because of how little teams value running backs, he's probably going to be a third-round pick. Um, just because teams don't value running backs that much anymore. Um, psyched for him. One of these guys is probably going to have to move to like pretty much a slot receiver. Because Braylon Addison is leaving. Um, So, like, there's just so many people in the backfield. I don't know, like, all these guys aren't going to get touches. Mm Mm-hmm. So, biggest plus so far, uh, Dakota is already on campus. What a head start. No math classes. I'm just so glad. I'm so glad we don't have to go through that drama again. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading an article about that, and he's going to spend the first month or so just studying the signals and the terminology of the Oregon offense. Uh-huh. And that's, he said that was the biggest difference between 
the uh, Oregon's offense and um, Montana State's offense. Yeah. And then after that, he's going to, once he gets those schemes down, he'll, he'll start looking more at the concepts. And um, so I think it's going to be, it'll be, I think it's just going to be nice to have kind of a drama free situation. I mean, Adams in the end did, he did fine. There was no like, I don't think there was any ever time, any a time where I was like, oh, if he had just been here a little bit earlier, this would have gone better. Um, I'm just uh, more so than anything. Yeah, I'm just I'm glad it's not going to kind of create any drama around the the position or team. So, so we know who the quarterback's going to be next year. Yeah, I think. See, here's the thing too. I don't think people who aren't around football all the time really understand that a lot of the concepts are the same across Mm -hmm. spread offenses. You got your read option where you're reading different people. You have your smash routes. You have your flood routes. You have your verts. Like, all these concepts are pretty well established already. Like, you have your triangle passing. Yeah. You know... You're just fine-tuning it for different systems. The hardest part is just dealing with what people call them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the hardest part. And I think that's why we didn't see tempo like at all at the beginning of the year with Vernon Adams. Like We didn't see any tempo until like the very end. So I think with Dakota coming in, who is a much better runner than Adams. Uh, much better runner. I don't think he's as fine-tuned passing the football. Um, but he can hit. He can throw the deep ball. That's one of the things that stood out to me when uh, watching his highlight tapes from Montana State. Is he can throw the deep ball. He can run. Um, I just don't know about his ability to throw like the 10 to 15 yard routes, which Vernon Mm -hmm. Adams was exceptional at. Um, like Vernon Adams was fantastic at extending plays. Um, because what I don't think that arm strength is that important on the deep balls. Like, obviously it is, but arm strength is much more important when you're throwing on the run. Because, like, when you throw the deep ball, you're able to get so much of your body into it, and then, it's like, so much of it is technique in order to get it high to drop it back in. Arm strength is really important on, like, the 15-yard, like, hitches or, like, the 15-yard ins or outs because mm-hmm. you have to get the ball there so fast. Um, on a line. So that's where you see arm strength becoming like the most important thing by far. Right. The deep ball is just, it's about, you know, you have to, your receiver is going somewhere and you have to kind of, it's almost more about precision and accuracy of you have to place the ball to a certain spot way out ahead of that, way out ahead of that receiver. And he's got to have the speed to go get it. But yeah, like you were saying, it's the whole, you just put your body into it, and you could you could throw a football pretty deep. But um, the Aaron Rodgers story, the yeah. Aaron Rodgers story. If you're throwing at seventy, you're gonna need to have a strong arm. But a lot of it, it if is you're technical. if you're hitting if you're hitting the roof of Ford Field, yeah. Then yeah. But you know we'll go through the uh, we'll go through the same routine every year. Where Oregon doesn't name a starting quarterback until. You know, a couple weeks out or whatever, but yeah, but we the, know the drill. Yeah, point. but the good thing is, uh, we get to see this guy in the spring. Yeah, that's We're something we see. did not get with Adam. So right. he's gonna have spring ball, which is gonna be huge for getting tempo and everything. Because that's we didn't get to see any of that this last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Lubick is gonna have a lot more time with the offense, and hopefully, he won't call such dumb plays all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah I think this is going to be another great year on offense my only question is the offensive line 
mm-hmm. which always gets going at some point, but it really needs to be like it's probably going to operate the level to beat a Pac-12 to win a Pac-12 championship. But I'm really over that right now. I really just want to win national championships. Okay. Um, so looking at the schedule this in a few years, uh, UC, <laughs> UC Davis. <laughs> Why? Uh, uh, we how much should we pay them? Probably $500,000. Uh, we get... Virginia at home after traveling out there a few years ago. Um, then we travel to Nebraska. The Fighting Mike Rileys. That'll be uh, that'll be an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, then we host Colorado September twenty fourth. Colorado, they had a lot of close losses this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me look at let me look at them. Because they had a lot of close losses. Last year, they had a bunch of injuries and close losses. Lost to Hawaii by eight. Go Fighting Rainbows. Uh, Rainbow Warriors. Um, Lost to Arizona by seven. Lost to UCLA by four. Lost to USC by three. Lost to Utah by six. They were, I think, they were pretty good this year. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of close losses against good teams. Next year, that is not a pushover. September 24th, that's not a pushover. Uh, big game, October 1st. October 1st and 8th, huge games. You know who's the first? Who's up first? Washington State and Pullman. Big game. Time for time for payback. Although we're gonna have a quarterback this time around. Yeah. That'll be huge. Um then we host Washington. The streak for thirteen in Eugene. Uh bye week at Cal on a Friday. Uh next week we host Arizona State. Next week we're at USC, so that's no- uh November twenty uh that's November fifth. Then we host Stanford on the 12th at Utah on the 19th. Oh, God. (laughs) And then at Corvallis on the 26th. The pluses, there isn't a real stretch. I guess the really only super tough stretch. I think October through... November 19th October 21st through November 19th but I think all those games there isn't a couple games on top of each other that I'm like terrified about Cal is going to be tough Arizona State's going to be tough that's at home at USC is going to be tough we host Stanford let's see we host Stanford yeah but then we're at Utah and they're really good hopefully they've fallen apart by November 19th as is tradition um so, uh, let me look at this real fast. Oh, <laughs> this is funny. Uh, Vernon Adams QBR against uh, TCU. 90.6. Guess Jeff Lockie's QBR. Um... I'm gonna say I'm gonna say uh, twenty lower. Oh no! Uh, Fifty is 12. average. Yeah, 50 is considered average. Lower. Eight. Lower. Three. Lower. Uh, zero. <laughs> it is two point eight. God, I didn't know it went that low. If you completed seven, oh. seven passes, um, Derek Harrington is back. Huge, seven receptions, 107 yards, one touchdown. He's always open. I don't <laughs> understand. I've never been more confused as to somebody who's so open all the time. I don't understand how it's possible. I'm just constantly floored by how open he is all the time. 
It's unreal. It's unreal. Yeah. I don't understand. I don't they understand. Won't, like, it, he'll be, you know, he'll catch a pass and there's not a defender within 10, ten yards of him. I really want the all 22 camera angles of everything. And so I can just see how he gets open all the time. Because it is just mind-boggling to me. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go ahead and talk about basketball. Uh, so Oregon lost to Oregon State. We lost to Oregon State. I always try to make sure I say we because I say we when we win, and I always want to make sure I say we when we lose. Um, so we lost to Oregon State. We were down 34-19 at the half. Not a great start. Um, how do you say Chris's name? Last name Chris Boucher. 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 See that? I think it's better. Boucher. Yeah, Dylan Brooks, 13 points. Tyra Dorsey with 10 points. Chris Boucher with 16 points. Um, I still have a hard time picking up. Which guy is Snoop Dogg? Dwayne Benjamin. Dwayne Benjamin only had three points, and he played 21 oh, that's minutes. Di- disappointing. Yeah. Because I remember when, uh, when they were making their – comeback run against UNLV he just started going off from yeah deep. yeah he's one of those uh he's one of those guys he's like a canary where if he starts balling out then you kind of know where it's going yeah so and uh as of this this recording is Wednesday afternoon so tonight is the they will play Cal in Eugene oh what at time? 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Pacific. 6 p.m. Pacific time. Pacific Standard Time. Yes. At 6, which should also be the approximate attendance of the game, I'm assuming. (laughs) I don't think they're back in school yet. No, they are, but they're back in school now. They're back in school. Students, it's the first week of class. You don't have real work to do. Go to the game for crying out loud. You basically get free tickets. Yeah, go to the game, then go to Dollar Beers. Dollar yeah, Beers doesn't it, start till like 9. You can go to the game. Yeah. Then you can go pregame, then go get Dollar Beers. <laughs> Here's what you do tonight. This is mad. You go to the game. 6 p.m., the game will... Every college basketball eight. game is over by 8 o'clock. If it runs into overtime... It'll go till 8.30. If you go to Dollar Beers at 9 p.m., you can secure a booth for the night. This is simple math. Go to the game. Go drink for cheap afterwards. Drive home, walk home responsibly. Take a cab. Have fun. That's how we do it. Except I don't think Uber's in Eugene. Oh, weird. I think it was for like a hot minute, and then there was some like big controversy about like the city. That he wanted the drivers to, I don't know, something fees and per- it's ride sharing. It's not a cab service. It's ride sharing. Yeah. So. God, Eugene, get it together. Be responsible. Call a cab. Go to the game. Yeah. Safety first, then teamwork. Um, <laughs> it's the, the key to success of a good night out. Then teamwork. Um. So the only losses are to UNLV, who's really good. Boise State, that was really close, but not great. Uh, mm-hmm. Then lost to Oregon State. Um, so we host Cal today. Mm-hmm. Then the 10th is we're hosting Stanford. Then we're yeah, the Bay Utah, Area games are always... Uh, they're always tricky. Much they're always nervous. tricky, and then those... The Bay Area games when we play Cal and Stanford are tough, and then those mountain games when we go to Colorado and Utah are always tough. So this will be a big opening stretch for the Ducks. Okay, I just want to I just want to bring something up. So I wa- I was watching the Rose Bowl. It was a blowout, of course, because Iowa is Iowa, and the Big Ten Big Ten is weak sauce. Uh. But can we stop talking about all-purpose yards? I really could <laughs> not care less about all-purpose yards. Stanford forces punts, so Christian McCaffrey gets like 
two kickoff returns and like six punt returns. You run for like 30 yards on each of those. You get 180 yards. Let's stop talking about like yeah. all-purpose yards of this like amazing thing. Like kickoffs, you just you just catch the ball. You catch the ball and you run. Yeah, and if you have – basically that's it. Even if you have moderate success, that's like 25 yards. I, I want you to have this conversation with the uh, yelling Stanford fan behind the cameras there. <laughs> God. Like, don't He'll get me wrong. He'll probably just scream Heisman in your face the whole time you're saying this. Don't get me wrong. Christian McCaffrey is unbelievable. He is really good. He is maybe the most boring player to ever hit, like, 190 yards in a game. Which is why he's so Stanford. Yeah. Yeah, I actually didn't realize how fast he was until the opening touchdown of uh, of that game where he like uh, he had a he had an option route against the Iowa safety and he just torched him and then he outran a guy in the secondary and I was like wow he's a lot faster than I thought because all he ends up doing is running between the tackles. Yeah, I, was this game ever even close, or was it just a blow? No, it was like start? twenty-one zero within minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So at least you know, at least the, when Florida State went, at least they stood a fighting chance for like half the game. And it was way funnier because Florida State was like hadn't lost a game in twenty-nine, and they had like all these personalities. I was Iowa. Everyone kind of knew. Actually, I knew Florida State wasn't that great either. I was was Iowa, and the Stanford band was the Stanford band, and ESPN had to cut away from the footage. <laughs> they were getting booed by Iowa fans. I'm sure the entire Midwest uh, is just cringing watching them watching them do anything because they're yeah. such a joke. They just make fun of everything, which is why I like them. Um, yeah. So if we could stop talking about all-purpose yards as if it's like some huge achievement when like half your yards they- come from punt returns and stuff. There's our New Year's resolution. It's sling and quack. Yeah, can we stop talking about all-purpose yards? Like, if Charles Nelson starts busting out, like, a kickoff return for a touchdown, like, every every week, I'm not even going to be like, oh, he's got, like, 400 all-purpose yards. No. No. Because all-purpose yards are dumb. If you scored a kickoff return for a touchdown, stop add, adding up all these yards as if they matter. So... And, uh, yeah, I think almost any other year, except for last year when Marcus Mariota wins, or this year uh, when Derrick Henry wins, McCaffrey wins the Heisman. And uh, I watched Alabama play, and Derrick Henry is next level. Like, Derrick Henry never had a bad game, uh, or never had a great game, and Alabama lost. Like, he is the barometer for their team. Like, he starts getting more carries, they win. Like, that was the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, like, once he started getting 27-plus carries a game, 25-plus carries a game, they didn't lose. So, Mike, he's the next guy. He was he was amazing. Um, also, side note... I know these Stanford people like to think they're good with numbers and everything, but uh, David Shaw saying that Christian McCaffrey is having the best year by of any skill player in the history of the sport, and his argument is that's just what the facts show is false. That is not true. <laughs> there are a million other stats that I could point to to say that uh, Christian McCaffrey is not the top player. See, I think Christian McCaffrey is amazing. I think he's easily mm-hmm. one of the best players in this year's college football. I think he is... I can't think of these guys off the top of my head. 100% top five. 90% top three. Um, but to, to to make claims that he is having the best year... And that's just what the stats show. It's just false. That is not true. So. Oh, yeah. And then my other thing, too. Just going on a rant. This is my rant now. Uh, Sling Quack is over. I'm just going off at this point. Um, we're, we're, we're letting Rusty go. Yeah. So, 
all these all these commentators and stuff just won't shut up about his genes, right? Like, oh, his dad is so and so, his mom is so and so, his grandparents are so and so, and it's like, oh yeah, like the, the, like they talk it like as if he was just given like all these gifts, not like he totally worked his ass off to get to where he is. Like, oh, yep, all of this all this speed makes so much sense. It's like, yeah, because he works his ass off, not because of who his parents are. Like that might help mm-hmm. a little bit, but really, it's probably because he probably works harder than everybody else. So yeah, I mean, genetics gives you the ability to be top level talent, but it helps. It it helps, but you still gotta you gotta actually put in the work. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous when people say that. It's it's like such a it's such like a backhanded compliment to him too. Hmm. It's like, oh, you're good, but it's 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 because your parents. Yeah, exactly. Not not because he worked his it's ass not because you were like working his whole life. Yeah, <laughs> not because he just spent his whole life dedicating himself to being one of the best football players. Uh. So, all right. Well, I'm psyched for the Cal game tonight. Well, that means I now have to get this podcast up before the Cal game. Thanks. Um. So. I'm pumped, and now, uh, now. Sling Quack is going to be much more basketball centric. Be much more it's going to be basketball centric. So if you like basketball, keep tuning in. Yep, yep. And uh, we'll see if we can get some other sports going on. We'll get some other sports in the mix. So, it'll uh, it'll it'll pick up. Yeah, yeah. Now now that the cash cow is uh, is over, R.I.P. We're going to see a lot more of other sports and everything. So, all right, cool. Well, that'll do it for uh, Sean and I. We will talk to you guys next week.